wanted to begin by just telling you guys a little bit about myself. Um, I actually was born in New York, and my family moved to El Paso, Texas, upstate, yeah, Manhattan Hospital, actually. So my uh, family moved to El Paso, Texas when I was seven, and I grew up there. I got born again and filled with the Holy Spirit when I was 15 years old, um, went through high school, and after high school, it was really on my heart to go to a, a Christian university. So I went to Oral Roberts University in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I got a bachelor's and a master's degree there, and I, I stayed in Tulsa for many years, worked in, in the field of counseling and some different things. And then in 2006, I, m I moved here actually to go to an art institute, and that's a long story. I'm not going to go into it, but I went through art institute in graphic design for about nine months, and it wiped me out. It was just brutal. Like, ugh, I was working full time and trying to learn this skill, and, you know, I'm just like, uh, and backing up just a few, a few minutes, uh, a few years prior, a good friend of mine had introduced me to IHOP. And we had gone to IHOP. I had visited there. I fell in love with it. And I determined in my heart, this is my tribe. The, how the prayer movement, I believe in it so much. I believe in the urgency of the hour. Whatever city that I'm in, I determined I want to serve the Lord in the house of prayer in that city. So back up to, so, you know, here I am in Dallas, 2006, going to Art Institute. So during this Art Institute season, I was streaming the prayer room. I was you know, I was a virtual IHOPper, was listening to all their services and praying, you know, pressing in. And, and it got to the point where I was just so, I needed a family. I mean, I needed face-to-face, -face, you know. And <clears throat> I needed a place to plant. So long story short, I found Sojourn Church, and they said, well, how can we help you get involved? And I said, well, you know, i got this thing. I really want to move to Kansas City someday. I'm a house of prayer person. And they said, well, you need to meet Tracy Eckert. And so I said, okay, well, uh, John and Tracy had just started Haas in their house two months prior to this. And so I met Tracy, and it was like instant sisterhood. Bam. We didn't even have to add water. It was just bam. <laughs> and so I remember her saying to me, <clears throat> because I said to her, I said, you know, I really want to move to Kansas City someday. I don't think I'm here very long, blah, blah, blah. And I remember she said to me, well, don't move to Kansas City. Help us start a house of prayer here. And I thought, what a foreign idea. I've never even, you know, it's never even entered my mind to help build a house of prayer. So this is what I said to the Lord. I get in my car and I'm on my way home and I said, Lord, I don't want to help build a house of prayer. I just want to walk into one. You know, and that, ladies and gentlemen, is how spiritual I am. Aren't you, don't you feel confident tonight? All right. No, I'm kidding. But, you know, it's good to know who you are and it's good to know who you're not. And I'm not a Paul, I'm not a type A leader, I'm not a, you know, frontline so much person. I might have a little Timothy DNA in me, but you know who I really identify with is Barnabas. Barnabas, the name Barnabas means son of encouragement. And that's really what I want to do tonight. I'm hoping that this message will be an encouragement, all right? Um, <clears throat> Hebrews 10.25, you guys are probably familiar with Hebrews 10.25. It's, it's talking about not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, um, but exhorting each other even more so as we see the day approaching. Um, actually, the scripture right before that that leads into it is Hebrews 10.24. It's on your notes. I hope you guys have notes. I didn't have very, um, didn't make as many as I would have liked to. Um, but hopefully you have those. I'll put them on uh, Facebook and Twitter for later and make more copies for next week. But anyway, um, Hebrews 10.24 I think applies to tonight. And it's really all about what we do it's the reason why we have Thursday nights. It's the reason why we have Sundays. Um, it's the reason why we meet together. It says, let us consider one another in order to do two things, 
to stir up love and good works. Notice the order there, not stir up good works and then love. Stir up love and stir up good works. So when we're meeting together, we're encouraging each other. We want to know how you're doing, exhorting each other. and We want to stir up love and good works because good works flow out of love. The title of my message tonight is White Linen, the Righteous Acts of the Saints. And so we're going to be talking about these two things, love and works. I got into this message. The reason <clears throat> that I started studying this out, I actually started studying this when I was uh, leading Propel Life Group. Is anybody here from Propel tonight? Hi, guys. I love you and miss you. Hi, y'all. That was a fun group. Um, we did that last fall. So during Propel, one of my, my goals, my personal goals, was to go through the New Testament in 90 days. So I was on a plan, and I was doing the, the, uh, going through the New Testament in 90 days. And two things struck me during that study. It was so, such a life-giving time in the Word for me. And two things struck me. Number one, how many references, and I mean, we know this in our head, but I mean, I was like, whoa. How many references to the day of the Lord, the end times, the last days, the writers of the New Testament constantly putting it before their audience that this is the end goal. This is what we're pressing towards. And so because this is reality, this is how you live. And so I was like, whoa, I mean, it's everywhere. There's no way I could even put all these scriptures in here. It's the whole New Testament. Number two thing that that I got out of it was the abundance of references. And I'm talking about all through the New Testament again, John, Peter, um, Paul, and then in Revelation, Jesus himself saying, talking over and over again about works. And I'm like, guys, I know you're not legalists. This is the gospel of grace. Why so many references about works? So I started looking into this, and I was sharing a week or so ago with Tracy about this personal study I was doing, and she said, well, you need to teach this. And I was like, oh. And she said, yeah, you do. No, I don't want to change it. So we had a little wrestling match, and she pinned me to the floor, and I gave up, and here I am. <clears throat> so let's start off. Let me, let me say very loud and clear that in this house, we preach it loud, and we preach it proud, the gospel of grace. All right? We are saved by grace alone. Amen? Beloved, there is nothing that you can do to make God love you any more than he loves you right now. And to think otherwise would be charging him of being imperfect. He can't love you any more than he loves you right now. You are completely secure in Christ. You are a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You are covered with the blood of Jesus. And the very same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives and dwells in you. You're royalty. You are sons and daughters of the king. Amen? So this gospel of grace is awesome, and we need it desperately. But, you know, in some circles, there's a little bit of confusion by, about this because, you know, there's, there's saying and, you know, whatever, preaching, teaching, whatever, that the gospel of grace is because we are in grace, we can live however we want to. And that's just not the gospel. It's just not. And so... Um, a, a message that empowers compromise is really not grace because we have to realize what we've been given. He has given us such an amazing deposit, and he cares very much about how we live. 
It matters to him. Now, we don't want dead works, striving and condemnation. What we're after is we want works that go with us into eternity. And that's what I'm talking about tonight. All right. So, um, you know, in James, it says that real faith um, will result in works, right? Faith without works, it says, is dead. So really, in my reading of this, faith and works are two sides of the same coin. Do I have agreement in here? Y'all not going to stone me or throw apples or anything? All right, so <clears throat> two sides of the same coin. Um, this is interesting. Got to kind of juggle a lot of pieces up here. All right, let's just move on. So I mentioned that two things struck me. The first thing was the abundance of references to being ready for the, the day of the Lord. So I want to take you guys into the word. These are in your notes. Let's just read them. I want you to hear them. This is not all of them. Like I said, we couldn't go through them all tonight. We wouldn't have time. But this is just a few of them, and I've asked some people to help me read. Let's look at uh, Ephesians 5.27 first. That he might present her, her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. All right. Um, 2 Peter 3.14. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless. Cool, huh? You see it, guys? All right, 1 John 2.28. Phil? And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Revelation 19.7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. Did that say that his wife is made herself a spiritual couch potato? No, his wife made herself ready. Now let's move on to according to your works. Now, this is really just amazing to me. I'm still like, this is just amazing. Because again, we know Jesus is not a legalist. But so many references to works. Now, we know that Jesus gave a message to seven churches. And you know, to each, to each church, he began the message with what? I know your works. I know your works. I know your works. I know your works. And I know your works. And then, listen to what he says. Revelation 2.23. I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. Getting exercise. What about Revelation 2.26? This is good for me. I need exercise. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. Now check this out. This is awesome. Revelation 20, verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. Is it just me or are you hearing the word works a lot? Okay, May, we've got Revelation twenty-two twelve. And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. So, you know, you, when Jesus says something one time, you listen. <laughs> and when he says it over and over and over, you really are like, okay, Lord, what are you saying? So, again, that's kind of what led me on this, <clears throat> on this journey. Well, of course, we know that Paul, James, and Peter, Jesus himself, were not legalists. 
And so um, there's something for us to learn here. What are the works that he's talking about? You know, the disciples asked this very thing. They said, Jesus, what are the works of God? What do we do to do the works of God in John 6? And he said, the work of God is to believe on him whom he sent. So really, the works of God begin with believing, believing him. And if we believe him, we'll trust him. And if we trust him, we're going we're gonna to want to do, we'll, we'll be obedient. We'll do what he says to do. So it starts, actually, doesn't it, with believing. And um, this is just my own, you know, I, I wrote some things down here about some other things that I think that works are. Um, but again, it starts with believing. So here's, here's what, what I, my understanding is. Jesus can say, because he's Jesus, but he can say, I judge you according to your works. Because you know why? At the end, when he sees whatever, what, what our lives have produced, the fruit on the tree, if you will, he can tell by the work or by the fruit on the tree what we believed. He can trace it back to what we believed about God, ourselves, and others. Do you see that, that connection? And, you know, this reminds me of Luke 418 ministry, what we're doing in the inner healing, uh, inner healing ministry, Crystal and Joy, heading that up, you know, helping people when, they, when you see bad fruit on the tree, it's not condemnation. That's good information to have, you know, because you want to get the fruit to be healthy. And what they're doing is they're helping people see how it traces back to ungodly belief systems, right, so that we can get in alignment. And that's the call tonight, part of this message and part of what the Jesus is doing with the bride and ironing out spots and wrinkles is getting us in alignment with truth. Why? So our works will go into eternity. We don't want dead works. We want them to go into eternity and last forever, right? Okay, so works, I believe, are also the choices. It's behavior patterns. It's the way we live. But all of that, again, begins with what we believe. If we're believing like him, there's going to be good patterns, good character is developed, choices, all of that stuff, okay? Um, fruit of the Spirit, uh, souls, you know, we're called to be co-laborers in the harvest. So certainly souls, I believe, are part of, of the things we want to take with us into eternity. Anything that we do then to help advance the kingdom. Today when I was considering this, the Lord reminded me too <clears throat> that, you know, he said, Amory, anything that I ask you to do, I have either done or it's my character. It's of, my, of like my character. Because the Bible says that the servant is not above his master. So anything that he asks us to do or to be like is who he already is. So this is what he gave me today. He's, he said, it's not about a checklist of things to do. It's a character that we're conforming to. It's a character that we're conforming to. Now, here's cool, too, another thing, tool. And, you know, i got to tell you guys, I was a little bit anxious, not a little bit. I was a lot anxious to preach this because, again, it's about works. And, you know, some people are like, Ooh, don't say that word. We're not under the law. You know, and I'm like, God, I don't want anyone to misunderstand or, you know, say, think I'm saying, talking about striving or be under condemnation. So I had some angst about this message. But another thing that the Lord assured me of, he said, Amory, the works that I'm talking about, the New Testament terms, and you know, Matthew's teaching an awesome series that started on Sunday, and he said, let's use New Testament terminology. And one of the New Testament words in here, we've just looked at the scriptures, our works. 
And um, he said, the works that I'm talking about, he said, are works born not of duty, but of privilege. All right, why? Because we are royalty. We're sons and daughters of the king. And when you know who this king is and you who your bridegroom is, are you kidding me? It is my honor to serve the king. Are you kidding? This is not, this is about passion. This is about love. This is not about a checklist of I give here and I serve there and I fast here and I fast there. This is about a relationship of love. Amen. John 15, 16 says, you did not choose me, but I chose you so that you could be a spiritual couch potato. No, I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. Right? All right. And then Ephesians 2.10. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should do them every once in a blue moon. No, that we should walk in them. Ephesians 2.10. Think about um, Princess Diana for a second. Now, I don't know if she had a relationship with the Lord. I don't know if she was a believer Um, But I think she's a good example in the point that I'm trying to make here. She was royalty. She was beautiful in so many ways. And, you know, they called Princess Diana the people's princess because she did some really, she did things that other, other royals wouldn't do. Namely, she got with the people. And this was a princess that was holding AIDS orphans. And she, it says, I read that she gave herself to like 100 charities in her lifetime you know, in some form or fashion. And it's not just something that she did. It's, it's a value that she wanted instilled in her kids. And she felt a certain responsibility as royalty to help alleviate the suffering in humanity. You see where I'm going. It is our responsibility as royalty to make a difference in our spheres of influence, isn't it? It's our honor. It's our joy. It's not a burden. Ah, it's our joy. I want to share with you now a meta, another metaphor that really impacted me um, in this whole study. Let me get a little bit of water. Um, I think in your notes it's Roman numeral 6, clothed in white linen. This is another scripture that really made me go, wow, when I was uh, going through this study. Revelation 19.8, it says, And to her, that's you actually, the bride, it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And actually, a few verses down, talks about the armies in heaven, that they're clothed in fine linen, white and clean, following him on white horses. My guess is, if the, you ask a lot of believers what the white linen represents, they might say, well, the righteousness of Christ, you know? And, 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 that's, and that's true. We've already established we are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You can't be any more righteous tomorrow than you are today. It is in a reality. And the blood of Jesus is as fresh before the throne of God over your life than it, than it was when he was crucified. But that's not what this says. This doesn't say that the white linen is, your, is the righteousness of Christ. It says the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. All right, check this out. Did you know that the first definition of the word habit, 
like habits, things that we do, patterns of behavior. The first definition in most dictionaries for that word is this, a type of clothing characteristic of a certain calling. Now, I know what this is because I went to a Catholic school, right? You know what a nun's habit is? It's that piece that they wear that's part of their calling, right? A nun's habit. So the word habit came to mean this, get this, a pattern of behavior acquired by frequent repetition that reflects the prevailing character of a person. Wow. All right? So the Bible actually teaches here that our habits, our behavior, our work, the work as we are conforming to Christ, the things that he calls us to do, those are actually becoming a sort of your clothing that you are going to wear even into eternity. We are called to be clothed in the habit of Christ so that our character actually reflects his character, pure and spotless. And this is actually a fun study, this garments, clothing thing. You could just do a whole message on that. But I want to share just a few other fun examples with you. One is <laughs> First Samuel 28. It's one of my favorites. It's kind of a negative example, but it's fun. Um, it's when Saul consulted the medium, right? God wasn't talking to him, and so, uh, or he, did, you know, he didn't feel whatever. Uh, there was some issue there. And so he consults this medium, and he says, conduct a seance and bring up Samuel from the dead. And so she does. And <clears throat> then she, she sees him coming and she, ah, she shrieks. And he says, what do you see? And she said, I see a spirit ascending from the earth. And he said, what is its form? And she said, it's an old man and he's covered with a mantle. And my favorite part of the story is he actually comes up and he says, why are you disturbing me? which is my favorite part, because Samuel was very happy where he was with the Lord. But he was, he was with the Lord, he had passed away, and he was wearing a mantle because he was a prophet. So his works followed him into eternity, and he was recognizable by that clothing. So I don't know about you guys, but this motivated me because I'd much rather I'd much rather see this as clothing than a checklist of do's and don'ts. Amen. Just saying. Just saying. Another one is Malachi. Malachi two sixteen. God says He hates divorce. Now, if you've been divorced in here, do not hear condemnation. What I'm saying, I'm not speaking about divorce. I'm not teaching about it. I'm not even giving an opinion about it. I'm making the point about clothing. God says, I hate divorce because it clothes one's garment with violence. Again, the issue is clothing. Our behavior becomes a sort of clothing. Check out Tabitha. Tabitha in Acts 9.36. This was a dear lady that would make garments, and she's making tunics for people, and she passed away. And they, they were undone in her community. They're like, oh, my gosh. You know, and they were just undone. But it says of her, how would you like this to be said of you? It said that Tabitha was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. Acts 9.36. So they go to get Peter, and they're like undone, and they're like, look at the tunic she made, and they're showing him, and she was such a dear saint and all this stuff, right? And so he comes, and he raises her from the dead. But isn't that cool to be said of you, that you're full of good works I read that, and I'm like, Lord, I've got work to do. 
But I really want that to be said of me. All right, and then look at this. You guys must check out Psalm 45, uh, 13 through 14. It says the royal daughter, that's you, the royal daughter is all glorious within the palace. Her clothing is woven with gold. She shall be brought to the king in robes of many colors. Remember when Jesus was counseling the church in Laodicea and said, I counsel you to buy gold refined in the fire. To buy gold refined in the fire. That gold is put in your garment. And that's part of what you'll wear before the king. Is that motivating? All right, so we are exhorted to care about our spiritual clothing. Let's look at a few of those verses. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 8 says, Let your garments always be white, and let your head lack no oil. Romans 13, 14, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Colossians 3, 12, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on, or another uh, way to say that would be clothe yourselves with these characteristics, tender mercies, kindness, meekness, etc. And then Colossians 3, 14 says, above all, put on or clothe yourselves with love, which is the bond of perfection. You guys realize that's ultimately what we're after, is we want to clothe ourselves with love. It all flows out of love, because the Bible says clearly in 1 Corinthians 13, if we are giving to the poor or doing these things, but we have not love, it's like a clinging symbol. So love is the ultimate thing that we're after. So how do we clothe ourselves with Christ? Oh, no, I wanted to say this real quick. Um, You know, a bride, I have not been a bride yet, yet. <clears throat> but I've known brides, and I've been in weddings, and I've been to lots of special events. And, you know, it's a lot of work for a bride to get ready for a wedding. You guys know it is, right? Um, <clears throat> I mean, talking about the hair and the makeup and getting the dress right and all of the details, it's a lot of work. But you know what? If you ask a bride if it's work, they're going to say, are you kidding me? I'm in love. I saw a tweet yesterday from a gal that's getting married in 38 days, and her tweet said, Today is wedding hair and makeup trial day at this awesome spa. I can't remember what salon it was. But it was hair and makeup trial day. And I thought, you know what, that's just like, what that's what brides do. She's not going to wait until the wedding day to figure out if she wants her hair up or down or how she wants her makeup. Man, she's thought through all of this detail, right? And it's work. I mean, she's gone to different stores to find what she needs, and it's a lot of preparation. But again, if you ask her if it's work, she's, no, it's not work, it's joy. You know what I'm saying? All right. So how do we clothe ourselves with Christ? Um, I'm going to give you just a real, real simplistic, probably oversimplistic answer to this. Um, But basically, again, it goes back to what we believe. Um, First, aligning our thoughts with his truth and then our attitudes and our results actually work themselves out in, in our behavior. Um, and again, this is very simplistic. Joy and Crystal could do a lot better job of explaining this than me. But just for the sake of, of time here, let's say that you're thinking on compassion. You're meditating on the Lord. You're thinking of compassion. All of a sudden, your thought life is becoming aligned with compassion. You're beginning to gain the attitude of compassion. And all of a sudden, whoop, fruit starts to prop out and you start acting compassionate. 
You know, it's part of your, it's how you're meditating and it's how you're setting your mind. Galatians 3.2 says, set your mind on the things above, not on the things on the earth. And as you begin to do that, you're taking on the character of Christ and it's, it's clothing. You're adding to your clothing. Every prayer you pray, every act of service, it's adding to that clothing. I have a question for you real quick. Could it be that one of the reasons we're not raptured the instant we're saved is because we're left here with work to do to prepare for his coming kingdom, and in doing so, we are weaving our wedding dress and making it white for his appearing? How cool is that? I'm almost done. Just hang with me. We are called to walk as Jesus walked. In fact, First John actually says that if we say that we know him, we are to walk as he walked. And, you know, Jesus' job description, I love this, in Acts uh, 10.38, it says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about what? Doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. Jesus Christ went around doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. I love this scripture. Jesus went around doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. And you know, when Jesus was announcing the kingdom and telling us what the citizens of the kingdom are like in Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Mount was where he was saying, this is what the kingdom looks like, and this is what my kids look like. This is the Beatitudes, the Beatitudes of the kingdom. And in there, they're so packed with good stuff. It's, I love Sermon on the Mount. It's <clears throat> good. And he talks about, this is what my kids do. They give, they serve, they fast, they pray. And I love the part in it where it says, Jesus says, and don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And you know what I get out of that? As we bend and as we obey and as we love him and as we're becoming conformed into the image of him, our left hand doesn't even know where our, what, our left, what our right hand is doing. In other words, we're so used to being generous that it, it's, just, it's just happening almost effortlessly because we're becoming conformed to who he is. We're so used to being hospitable, we don't even think twice about it. It's just becoming second nature. It's that clothing. We are becoming conformed into the image of his son. It's like in, in Matthew 25, that parable of the nations, um, where Jesus, um, he was dividing the sheep and the goats. And on the right hand, he says, blessed are you of my father, uh, you know, that are inherit my kingdom. And he says, because, you know, when you were hung, when I was hungry, uh, you know, you went to feed me. And when I was in prison, you went to visit me. You know that scripture, guys, right? You know what their response was? When did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we, when did we do that? Guys, They were so in love and so conformed to the image of him that they weren't even trying to do a work. They were just being like him. Again, it's about being conformed to a character. So why why these works uh, that we're called to? Um, They bring the Father glory. It says, let your light so shine before men, that, he, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. They silence our enemies, and they actually help us to prove out our faith. You know, introspection can be a nasty booger. Because if you get stuck there, it's just a nasty booger. 
And I, I'm saying don't be introspective. However, Paul did say, examine yourselves. Test yourselves as to whether you're in the faith. So it's actually a wise thing to look at the fruit on your tree and go, mm, is this fruit the way I want it to be? And if not, what do you do? You go back to the beliefs, right? Like we talked about, maybe there's something that I'm believing about God, myself, or others that's maybe not in alignment with what he says about me, right? And so that's kind of how we take care of this. But works actually serve us. Again, it's good information to have. If you're feeling barren in a certain area or relationship, don't feel condemned. It's good information to have. And you know where to go to get it uh, fixed. So how do we respond to this message tonight? Uh, Mike Bickle says, lovers will outwork workers every time. And that's pretty much uh, true. <laughs> lovers will uh, outwork workers every time. And we want to be lovers, don't we? And I know that you want, we all want the same thing in here. And I want for this house, and we all want to be fruitful. And we want our fruit to remain. We want our works to go into eternity. And we want to be found before him, white and clean. 